0: Grace Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through His Word, including bite sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Welcome back to Grace Pod. Today we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. And let's start as we have before with um, the structure. And I would break it at verse six. So, um, verses one to six is about what we have in common, our unity, and then verse seven is about our differences and how they contribute ultimately to that unity. So let's start with verses one to six. And, um, Andrew.
0: Yeah, thanks. Um, we noted. Um, when we looked at it that verse three has a really significant verb which is that we're eager to maintain the unity of the spirit which implies that there's something that already exists that you've just got to protect and then there's this um, lovely list of one body one spirit one hope and because we've been doing Ephesians uh, week by week all of these words kind of Uh, buzz for us because he's actually drawing on um, a whole lot of teaching that's gone before do
1: you want to just show us where some of those land in chapters one and two yeah i think particularly chapter well chapter one was chapter one verse 10 god's great plan for the universe is to the esv has to unite all things in christ literally it's to bring all things under a head in christ Um, but the idea of that being one head becomes really clear in chapter two where there's this amazing passage about the Jews and Gentiles which are the most divided communities in the history of um, civilization and the two have been made one verse 15 he might create in himself one new man in place of two bringing peace verse 16 he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross and then verse 18 through him we both have access in one spirit to the father so lots of these one 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 come straight from chapter two where it was jesus on the cross who reconciled us to each other and us to god and as you say this is a unity that we have now and we just got to hold on to
0: and one of the things that jumps out when you read these words in the context of ephesians even words like one hope i think i'd taken it just on out of context before but the hope that ephesians describes is necessarily a corporate hope it's a hope that the world will be united uh, together under christ and so we together share a corporate hope um, in a very profound way it's not an individualistic thing Um, so this is the unity that we we have together and that god has won for us we don't have to make it it's already been given
1: and then It's such contrast, isn't it, to the sort of ecumenical movement, which says we've got nothing in common, but let's try and find the lowest common denominator. So, you know, we believe there's a God. okay, we can agree on that, even though we disagree on sexual ethics and justification and everything else. It's not lowest common denominator unity. It's sort of highest common denominator unity. You have this gospel, this gospel of Paul that he's preached in common. Um, And the things that you have to do to maintain unity aren't... Um, doctrinal compromises but are um, to keep at bay the kind of ungodliness that would harm the unity that you enjoy so verse two um, with humility gentleness patience bearing with one another in love and I found it helpful just to imagine the opposite of these and what it would do to unity so if you have humility you're fine but if you have pride I mean pride is not intrinsically divisive thing because I come to church and my question is whether I'm better than you or you better than me and suddenly we're in competition and we're not on the same team or gentleness and if I come with harshness you're offended because I said something in a brutal way and you're hurt and then we're divided whereas if I say it gently where our unity is protected and um, patience because if I'm impatient etc and then I love the bearing with one another in love because the bearing with is when unity is being tested, love is the thing that holds it together. It's like having an elastic relationship between you rather than a brittle one. So that there's a bit of give so that you weren't very patient with me and you weren't very humble or I wasn't very humble with you. And yeah, but I'll let that go because I love you. And so I think it's really helpful to see these qualities in verse two as the protect the things that protect unity. And in the church, you can see like really obviously how that, that practically works.
0: And this um, little list makes sense of the teaching we've had. So we had this incredible passage in chapter 2 about the before and after of the Christian faith and that it was entirely by grace that you've been saved. And and we do the study and we we think, wow, these are great trees, full stop. But actually this is driving towards the sort of humility and patience in chapter 4. So if we've grasped chapter 2, we can't think... Yes, but I and and we can take pride in all kinds of things: our, our social class, our ethnicity, um, the fact that we've been grown up in the faith rather than converted late, or vice versa. There's so many potential obstacles and divisions in the fellowship, and yet, if I've understood Chapter Two, I've discovered the only thing I bring to the table is my sin, and I'm it's a level playing field, and the only hope is that the Son of God shed His blood for me, and that huge. Um, doctrinal understanding is what then enables the sort of humility, gentle patient, gentleness, patience that the church needs in chapter four. And it's such an encouragement as well that um, if you've been in church, you know that it's messy and we step on each other's toes. And I love that the New Testament just assumes again and again, not that we'll never upset, upset each other, we will do all the time. The difference is that we know what to do when we do upset each other. So we bear with, we forgive. And I find that very freeing. It's it's not, um, the, the bar is not that we'll never mess up.
1: It's that we know what to do when we do, when we mess up. I think one of my closest Christian friendships now actually is with somebody that I really didn't get on with when I first met him. And it's uh, I love it because I think non-Christians make friends with people who are easy and who are like them but a relationship forged out of Christian principles and Christian, the Christian gospel, you know, bearing with, being patient, and now a very, very dear friend. I think it it helps to plug this into the big context of Ephesians spiritually. So we saw last time in chapter 3 that the unity of the church is this great mystery that was hidden for ages and now revealed, that Jesus has united Jew and Gentile together and this is on display chapter 3 verse 10 to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places later we discover they're hostile rulers and authorities so the church is like the rubbing it in the face of satan and all the evil powers that jesus won and jesus announces his victory by the unity of the church and you realize this really counts so a church that um, turns on itself or breaks up or where relationships break down it really harms jesus glory in the heavenly places whereas a church that holds on to its unity um really um thwarts the devil and it announces his defeat in his face um, and i guess that's why paul you know he's in prison first one in in prison i urge you to do this like the one thing he cares about it's not i urge you to work for my release or you know get together the legal papers for my court case. Just, if you're if you united, I can cope with being in prison. <laughs> That's the thing that really matters.
0: And the um, he talks about his imprisonment in Chapter 3, and he's saying, I have a unique role in getting the gospel out to you guys, and then you express it, and it then demonstrates to the watching universe God's wisdom. So there's this sort of fanning out of God's revelation. And now he says, look, I am doing my bit, and it's very costly. What about you guys? Uh, Now it's over to you. You've got to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So Paul's saying, yeah, what about you?
1: (laughs) And I guess it just gives a different insight into what's going on in church relationships. So Grace Church Granger's been a very happy church and we're very grateful to that. But there's there's just the little things that could have divided us along the way. Maybe once every year there's something where people take a different view from each other. So I suppose recently COVID, there were the people who were desperate that we should come back, and why are we not defying the go- the government? We shouldn't be wearing masks. We should be etc. There was the other people who were very cautious. Are we really sure it's safe to come back? And you know that's just an example of where different opinions. I guess you get different political opinions when there's an election. You get different views about the Sunday school and what the you know anything in church can be a cause of division. And to see we have a unity bought by the gospel. And the way to hold on to it is: Am I being patient? Am I? Be- it's just such a practical thing in church life. Once you discover it's blood bought, you're not going to mess around with it. Um. So one to six verses, one to six, hold on to your unity, and then because you're you have all this in common, and then verse seven to sixteen, um, is complementary, but actually quite a contrast. So verse thirteen. Until we all attain to the unity. So there's a unity that you have one to six and there's a unity that you're to grow into and that you haven't yet got. You haven't yet arrived at it perfectly or fully in verse seven to 16. And this second bit announces Jesus plan for maturing his church. And we love this because it's become a kind of, um, mission statement for Grace Church Greenwich. And if you look on our website on the vision, section there's a little video that we put together with cutouts that explain this passage it's been our sort of lifeblood and heartbeat of Grace Church Greenwich but let's talk about it again so there's a whole sequence of steps that start with Christ and end with a mature church Do you want to talk us through them yeah wh- why don't we start at the
0: far end so the until at the beginning of verse 13 is the goal of it all so at the end of the process is until we all attain to the unity of the faith and a knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and if that happens, verse fourteen, you're safe. You're no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves. Which um, is a
1: very vivid picture. I mean, obviously, it's it's an illustration, but a really powerful one. If you've ever been to a surfing beach, I remember the first time I went in the sea in Australia, and you know, I'd, I'd previously experienced waves in Norfolk, where <laughs> you know you can sit in them and enjoy them and it whereas in Australia they pick you up and throw you on the you know, throw you back on the beach pretty hard. And if you're not careful you get dragged under and you can't breathe. And then you imagine not just a surfing beach, but imagine a surfing beach with a toddler. It's yeah, you know, the the danger that a toddler's in in the face of the sea is I think meant to be a really evocative image. That-
0: surfers call it being ragdolled.
1: And it's, yeah, it's frightening when
0: you're in it, but imagine it with a little one.
1: And that is the baby Christian. That's the Christian in the face of false teaching, human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. We'll talk later in chapter six about the schemes of the devil. And I guess often the schemes of the devil are doctrinal or false ideas that um, slip into the church and can really, really hurt people. So, sorry, you were saying, so we arrive at safety.
0: Yeah, and the um the strange thing is that there are things that are sort of true already. So if you ask a Christian, do you know Jesus? That's kind of definitional of um what it is to be a Christian, it's someone who knows Jesus or um but but here we're told until we attain unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. So there's there's more to grow into um in what we've begun. We started to know Jesus, but but we look forward to a future where we'll have kind of united and mature
1: knowledge of Jesus. And that's where we're headed. I Um, guess that's true of unity as well. So we are united, we're growing into unity and it's probably full of true fullness. So in chapter one, the end of chapter one, the church is Jesus body, the fullness of him. He fills all things. But here we're growing into the fullness of Christ.
0: And the, um, the steps to get there, the beginning step, the, the most crucial step is what Jesus has done. And we've, we saw that in chapter one, there's a huge emphasis in Ephesians on Jesus being lifted up. His ascension is key. And here we get it again. So verse eight, he ascended on high. It's a quote from Psalm 68. Um He led a host of captives. He gave gifts to men in saying he ascended. What does it mean that he but that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? Um, He who descended is one who also ascended far above all the heavens. That's a link back to chapter one. So the key thing to growing in this maturity is the fact that Jesus is raised above the powers uh, and now he can give gifts to The church, And without that, there's no chance of this process happening. But with it, suddenly it all can happen.
1: We had Chris Trash speaking for us on our church weekend away on three Psalms. And one of them is Psalm 68. And it's really helped me. Always a case, isn't it, that when you look at the Old Testament quotation in its context, you discover actually Paul had read Psalm 68 quite carefully. But we saw that this is the key hinge verse of the whole psalm. And it's about the progression of the, it's about the king leading the procession, um, up to Jerusalem and having conquered. And so it's like basically the whole Old Testament story of the Exodus escaping slavery and the conquest under Joshua entering the promised land all the way through to the monarchy under David. And this is the high point. So actually, it is deliberately verse eight, you know, quoting Psalm 68, it's this is the whole shape of the story of salvation throughout the whole bible which culminates in jesus ascension and as you say that it's described as a military conquest um, leading the captives leading the prisoners of war behind him and some people struggle because paul has changed the verse in verse eight so in the psalm it says he receives gifts from men and paul has changed it to he gave gifts to men and you know it's not like paul hopes that no one will notice that he switches it because he's assuming high degree of biblical literacy and people know their psalms but he's just interpreting and explaining it so jesus as the conquering king receives all of the the spoils of war and having received them the point that paul is making is he then shares them out amongst his people so step one jesus conquers and distributes gifts but the gifts are um people verse 11
0: and the um yeah, so I guess in the coronation of our queen in 1952, you know, the king of Saudi Arabia gave her a Ming vase. And what what happens is when you're in charge, everyone comes and delivers their, their gifts to you. And then, but here our king says, and now here you, and he just lavishes the people with all that he's gathered up. And, and the, the gifts he gives us are apostles and prophets who we've come across before. So they were the ones... Um, in, at the end of chapter two, who were the foundation of the new temple. They're the New Testament um, prophets, New Testament apostles, who give us the gospel uh, now in scripture. And then those uh, probably just two other offices, evangelists and pastor teachers, who are those who take that deposit
1: and, and declare it today in different contexts. And they're all, so what they've got in common is the gifts of people and the, they're people who bring the word so, either the apostles and prophets who give us the new testament or as you say the people who then pass on the new testament
0: so if you've got a pastor he thinks he's god's gift <laughs> on this occasion he's right <laughs> um yeah and um the 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 beautiful thing as part of this picture is i think a lot of us assume that it's the it's these people's job to gray the church and to mature it and so on um Uh, Paul has another step so he says no that's not right it's actually the members the saints who are the ordinary members um, of the church it's their job verse 12 uh, to do the work of ministry and build up the body actually it's the evangelists and the pastors and teachers that they've just got the equipping role they're the coach and then it's the players on the pitch who are doing the job
1: And this is such an important thing, isn't it, in terms of the shape of the ministry of the church. And we have to rethink almost everything in light of verse 12. So it tells you and I what our job is as pastor teachers. And it tells the whole congregation what their job is. And if you say, who are the ministers of Grace Church Greenwich? You know, we often, the Church of England calls its um, clergy, sort of minister. It's not really the right term, actually. So ministers, servants, It's it's everybody in the church. Um, and we ought to have equippers, or trainers, or pastors, or something like that. Um We got in trouble, didn't we, in our website, because we wanted to say on the Grace Church Greenwich website that um, the people doing ministry is not just Andrew Satch, Andrew Latimer, but everybody, and we thought, wouldn't it be great if instead of having a staff team page, we just put loads of people who engage in ministry, and we put loads of members of the congregation, um trying to make this theological point and then I saw somebody at a conference who said wow your staff team is huge because I (laughs) looked at the website and saw that we had 25 people or something but I mean the point is right that the church is the ministers of the church are everybody and you can do a lot more ministry with 100 ministers than you can do with two so there's a real bottleneck problem I think otherwise where you know even when it comes to who will visit the person in church who's ill and people say, well, that's the pastor job. Well, yeah, that's okay. If you've got a church of 20, but if you've got a church of a hundred and quite a lot of them are ill because it's the winter and everyone's got a cold, how many, how much visiting of sick people can two people do? Not very much, but how much looking after struggling people can a hundred people do? Like loads. So the amount of care that you can have in a church, if everybody sees it as their role to be building up, to be looking out for. Um, I think we we've got to the stage on Sundays now, which we we're a bit too big now to for us personally to notice he's missing or he's struggling or, but actually again between a hundred of us, we've got a chance of spotting every newcomer or every struggler or everyone who's bereaved or everyone who's going through a difficult time spiritually. So I think yeah it's a it's a real game changer for the ministry of a church if it's everyone's doing it, as they're equipped by the teaching of God's word.
0: And the, um, the, there's a particular emphasis in verse 16 where, that this process happens when each part is working properly. And I, I think this has taken me a long time to to realise. In fact, I remember having the view as a student that church was about me and my relationship with Jesus. And that's a good first step. So I would I'd come 15 minutes late to a service, catch the bit I wanted, and then leave before the end sometimes. I'd go to different churches on a Sunday, they offer different things it's kind of consumerist cinema approach um and then there's the kind of shift where you think oh well no actually maybe i'm uh i'm going for a different reason i'm going um because i'm part of a body and i'm um they need me and actually that that completely changes not just uh, you know, shall I bother turning up today? Well, actually, of course I should. It's it's um, it's only when each part of the body does its work that we can function. But it means that when I'm there, I'm I've got a different lens on, and I'm thinking, okay, I, I've been given gifts for the good of these people. You know, how can I encourage them today? Um, and that's yeah, it's, that completely changes if you turn up to a small group. With that mentality, suddenly, you know, when the, that's the the culture, the you know, the whole thing flies because everyone's come prepared, coming to help each other. Um, but it's a, it takes a while for a congregation to discover
1: this principle. And then, and um, finally, verse sixteen reminds us that Jesus is the one who is at work as we are building each other. So we we grow up into the head; he's Christ from whom the whole body when each part is working properly makes the body grow so as we're building ourselves up jesus is making us grow and the head from whom we get our um, whole nourishment and equipment and um, sustaining so it's a wonderful yeah that the church busy serving each other speaking the truth in love is the church where the ascended christ is at work Um, It's a beautiful thing.
0: Thank you for listening to GracePod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.